Welcome to today's class, everybody. Let's jump right into it. And that is this week's Torah portion, Mishpatim, talks about the classic laws of a just society. How to judge the laws of damages between one person and another, any types of thievery, slavery, and many of the likes. A lot of these laws are somewhat logical, that you would say that any society that wants to have a system of justice and have people to be able to live good, happy lives would create such systems of law, even though for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, we know many societies did not create a full-fledged system like that, but it's something that over time has definitely developed. Which is interesting because if we look at last week's Torah portion and this week's Torah portion, they seem like they're two extreme opposites. Last week's Torah portion, we discussed the Torah being given at Sinai, which was a completely supernatural, beyond logic experience. And then all of a sudden, this week's Torah portion is 100%, seemingly 100% logical. All about that simple, basic human decency and understanding. Seems like we're going from one extreme to the other. But rather, the concept that's really being laid here, the message that the Torah is giving us, is that last week's Torah portion, which mainly focused on something miraculous and out-of-this-world experience of the giving of the Torah, has to come down, trickle down that effect to the point that human logic is part of the experience and that we don't just live in the world of faith and beyond the natural realms, but we're able to take our faith and imbue that into the way we think the way we feel, the way we experience life on a day-to-day basis. Now, just a general concept before we really get into today's class, and that is the concept of slavery. Does anybody have any questions, opinions, or feelings on the concept before we get started? Yes, feel free to mute yourself. Unmute yourself. It's the level of, of slavery. You're talking about when the Jews were so-called enslaved? or a slavery that was somehow by Jews? Let's just say the slavery that is mentioned in the Torah, not when we were enslaved, but the type of slavery that the Torah may or may not. And, um, well, you're recording this, but my only comment is I've never understood how people that were enslaved for so many years and brutally enslaved could be in any park, get close to, even want to touch it or have anything to do with it despite the explanations I've heard for it. A great point, Mitch. Thank you. So we are actually going to jump right into that concept. And let's go for it. And that is, as Mitch brought up, how how is it possible that the Torah can even think of bringing up the concept of slavery and even to a certain extent even justifying it? So there are three general approaches to the concept. But before we get into any of these approaches, and this is a very base layer, and this is not the explanation, but this is just a simple understanding before we really get into the concept. And that is that the Talmud tells us that when a person acquires a slave, they have acquired a master for themselves. And that is because we know that the Torah mandates so many responsibilities from a person who acquires a slave to their slave. That is supplying them with obviously a place to live, food to eat, healthcare. They are responsible for the health of their slave. They are not allowed 
to abuse their slave. They're not allowed to misuse their slave. They must treat their slave to a certain extent as an equal without giving, generally without giving um, derogatory types of work, without dehumanizing them and putting them down. And this the Torah was already mandating 3000 years ago, where in the most moderns of societies, until the 19th century, such a concept was unheard of, which is a fascinating concept in and it of itself. But let's actually dig deeper because like Mitch said, and many people don't fully accept this because still, how can this possibly be? So the first approach is the approach of many Jewish thinkers throughout history. The most recent person to write about this and put, formulate this idea and put it together was Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Oliver Shalom. And he explains a phenomenal concept. He says, you see, God performs miracles and changes the nature of the world. However, God never changes human nature, which means God never takes away our free choice. And therefore, even when a miracle is performed to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, even when a miracle is performed to save the Jewish nation time and time again, however, God will never perform a miracle to change our nature so that we always retain freedom of choice. And that it has to be a process that we are a part of, of bettering ourselves in the world around us. And he says as follows, when the Jewish people were taken out of Egypt, the general way the world was then was that the concept of slavery was an accepted reality of life. So God could not have just said, no more slavery, because that would have been too extreme of a way of life. So God introduced slavery in the most humane way possible. And like I said, until the 19th century, this wasn't even an idea that was fathomed by the world. And God's ultimate idea was not that the Jewish people should keep slavery, but rather that there should be a slow progression to the point where we come to a world where there is no slavery, which we live in somewhat to a certain extent today. And that's what he claims was the concept of the mitzvah of slavery. And the truth is, it's not a baseless idea. We know that Maimonides, in his guide for the perplexed, many points out that many mitzvahs of the Torah may be for this reason, in order to wean the Jewish people off of certain things till they come to a point where they no longer need it. That's one approach. There are some technical issues or some fundamental issues with this approach and therefore not everybody agrees with this. And the simple idea is that, does that mean that the Torah is reactionary? We know that the Torah was around before the world was even in existence. And if that's the case, why would the Torah really come and just give us a rule of something that would eventually peter its way out or that it wasn't an essential value. So let's dig a little deeper and maybe we'll find something deeper. A second approach, and this approach is from the Nitziv of Volodin Rabbi Yitzvi Yehuda Berlin from the 1800s. And he gives a phenomenal, sorry, uh, I'm mistaken. This is from Rabbi Samson Fall Hirsch, famous German rabbi. And his approach is as follows. If you look in the entire Torah, there is nowhere that allows a person to enslave a free man. You cannot take somebody else's freedom away from them. That is completely against every value that the Torah stands by. The Torah is all about freedom, all about being a free person to do in order to live a good life. However, the fact is 
that for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, people were being enslaved left, right, and center. People were being abused by their masters, taken advantage of. So comes along the Torah and the Torah tells us as follows. If you see a slave who's being abused, you see a slave who belongs to a traitor or a master. This man already lost his, or woman, already lost their freedom. And it's only downhill from this point. You may go ahead and acquire them in order to give them a better life. Because we know that if you follow the Torah's rules of how to treat a slave, you will give this person a much, much better life than they will get anywhere else that they will be acquired. And history has proven that time and time again. And therefore, the concept of slavery is only to give them a better physical life. Otherwise, there is no justification. There is no reason why you would be allowed to even fathom the concept of slavery. A third approach, and this is from Tziva Palajan Ramin, Natali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. And he says as follows. This is it a little bit of a different approach. He says it's not necessarily obviously included is to give them a better physical life, but he says it's actually to give them a better spiritual life. And he explains as follows. He says the archetype of slavery, of a master and slave, he says it's not really slavery. It's indentured servitude. Let's take a look at Avram Avinu. You see, many rabbis unfortunately were mistaken in the 19th century, right before the Civil War and the emancipation of the slaves, there was a huge, huge dispute in America. And many rabbis were involved. Some rabbis were mistaken for quoting and saying that the Torah condones slavery. Why? And Torah allows it. Look at Avram. Avram Avinu, the kindest, the, as we know, the kindest person to ever, one of the kindest people to ever live. A person with a tent open to every passerby just to give them food. Searching out to do good for other people. He himself owned a slave. Eliezer Ebed Avram. Famously, that's a mistake. And that's because if we look at Eliezer, we see what Avram did for him. What Avram did for him was give him the best possible life, both physically and spiritually. Eliezer, Eliezer was a changed person by being in Avram's house to the point that Lavan thought that Eliezer was Avram because Avram had, cha Avram had changed Eliezer's entire life in all facets of his life, giving the best physical life he could have and the best spiritual life in the person that he became. And that was the greatest service Avram could have done for Eliezer. And based on this idea, the idea of slavery is nothing about a power struggle or a master over a servant. Such an idea, the Torah completely forbids, completely rejects, and throughout our history has never existed. The Torah would not allow one person to take away another person's freedom. The Torah would not allow one person to assert their dominance over another person just to use them as a slave. The only justification is if you are there to give somebody a better life physically or spiritually, because we know that once a, once a Jew acquires a slave, this slave now has to start keeping Torah and mitzvahs. This person eventually, the ultimate goal, is that they will become part of the Jewish people or at least live amongst us as a righteous Gentile. And if that's the case, the whole concept, the whole notion of slavery is not about dominance and power because the idea of dominance and power over another human being is completely rejected in the Torah. 
On the contrary, it's about influencing somebody, influencing someone both physically and spiritually to give them their best life possible. As the Dhamma tells us that the slave would rather be free, lawless, ruthless. When you can take that slave and give them structure, give them a good life, a place where they can work, a place where they can make a living for themselves and make a better human being out of themselves and eventually become a free person, that is the greatest kindness you can do for that person. But if that's not your intention, your intention is just for power, self-gratification and self-interest, it becomes an abuse of power and such a type of slavery has no place in the Torah. And he goes on to explain how that's why today, at least for the past over 2,000 years, whenever there is no Jubilee, whenever there is no Yoival process, when the Jewish people are not in their land with the base Hamikdash, we don't have the laws of slaves. You're not allowed to own a slave. And he explains the reason is because we're not in a place where we can have that proper influence on the world around us. And because of that, it's just the idea of slavery is going to be just become an abuse of power as it was by all the nations of the world over the past several thousand years since the world was created. And that, my friend, is the approach of the Torah to slavery. It's not about subjugating somebody else to your own power. It's about influencing someone and being able to rehabilitate them, to give them a better life because you weren't allowed to take away somebody's freedom. You were talking about when you came across a person who was already down and out, completely beaten and abused, taken away from all, all the freedoms taken away from them. And this is a lawless, ruthless person. And you can actually influence them and give them a better life. You're doing them the kindest justice possible. Okay. Now, this is a very general concept of slavery that works for both Jewish slaves and non-Jewish slaves. Let's jump into the part of this week's Torah portion where it talks about a Jewish slave, an Eved Ivri. And this goes as follows. When it comes to the Eved Ivri, the Torah tells us, how does an Eved Ivri become a slave? It can be one, or, or it can be one of two circumstances. One is that the person is completely down and out on their luck. They're in so much debt, they can't pay it back. They don't know what to do with their life. They don't know where to turn. So he can put, they can put themselves on the market and others, they can sell themselves as a slave and they will be picked up by a Jewish master. The person will hire them. Now, when the Jewish person buys another Jew as a slave, there are many, many difficult rules to keep. Well, number one, this new the owner not only takes on the responsibility to feed and house and clothe his slave, but also his slave's entire family, the wife, the children that are young are all now become the responsibility of the master. Secondly, he's not allowed to treat his slave or his family as inferior. If the master only has one pillow, that one pillow goes to the slave, not to the master. The master must give him the same food that he eats for himself. The master is not allowed to give him backbreaking labor, which means demoralizing work. Not that I give him work that goes nowhere, that means nothing. It's similar to the way, the opposite to the way the Egyptians did to the Jewish people, where they had them build cities that if they eventually crumbled, you are not allowed to give such work to your slave. You are not allowed to work a person to the point where you say, just work and I'll figure out when it's done. There has to be parameters. And it's not allowed to be dehumanizing or denigrating 
work. Now, even within all that context, this slave can only be enslaved for six years. Once six years comes, you have to set the slave free. However, if the slave chooses that after six years, he says, you know, I'm really loving this lifestyle. I have a steady job. I have housing. I have food. My family's taken care of. And this person is treating me properly because hopefully he's keeping according to the Torah and Jewish law. And he wants to stay longer. He has the choice. But if that's the case, the Torah says, we take the ear of that servant to the doorpost of the house. And within all, we pierce the ear. And then the person can, this man can stay a slave, but only until the end of the Jubilee cycle, right? The 50 year cycle that the Jewish people started counting from once the land of Israel was settled. At 50 years is a hard reset, and the slave must go free. Now, why the ear and why the doorpost? So the simple idea behind it is as follows There's a good way that the reason, there's a good, there's a good reason why this person probably became a slave because of some bad choices that they may have made. It's like we said before, one way of becoming a slave is a person's completely down and out. All of their businesses have gone belly up and they have no way to support their family. And they sold themselves. Another way that a person can be, a Jewish person can be sold as a slave is if they robbed or damaged or stole from somebody else, but they can't pay it back. They don't have the money to pay it back. They don't have the resources to pay it back. In American society, what would happen is this person would be thrown into jail, given food and board, and the victim would get nothing. The poor victim walks away, somebody damaged them, somebody stole from them, but the person couldn't pay. So the victim gets nothing. The perpetrator gets thrown into a prison cell and that's it. The Torah says, no, the person can't pay it back. What we are going to do is we are going to sell their services. We are going to sell them as a slave. Like we said, and again, it's not really a slave. It's indentured servitude. And this person will have to work their debts off, get the money back, or, re or repay the victim. But what we see here is this is a series of bad choices that brought the person to this case. Now that the person wants to stay in slavery, the reason why we pierce the ear is because we say the ear that heard at Sinai that there is a God and that we have mitzvahs to keep, not to steal, not to make bad choices. And the person nevertheless, nevertheless went ahead and made those choices and still hasn't learned that you're better off being a free person making good choices. So we say such an ear needs to be pierced. Such an ear needs to be marked. And why by the doorpost is because we know that the doorpost is the sign that when we were in Egypt, God said, Ki li abadai, that the Jewish people are my servants, nobody else's, and that's why I'm setting them free. And this person did not take this concept to heart to become a truly free person. This person has to be pierced, their ear has to be pierced by the doorpost. That's the simple structure of the concept of slavery. Before we go further, are there any questions or comments? Okay, so let's jump into it. Basis, based on these ideas, I think that these are pretty somewhat satisfactory explanations, at least to a certain extent. But why would this mitzvah be 
told to the Jewish people right now. They just received the Torah. They're a few, they're a few weeks as free people from Egypt. Why couldn't God wait till the end of 40 years in the desert to give them these commandments and this set of rules? Now, why do I ask that? First of all, what about sensitivity? We're talking about a, a, a nation that was just enslaved and beaten and tortured for 210 years, and you're going to go and talk to them about slavery? Is that not insensitive? They're traumatized people. Wait 40 years. Wait till the generation that's going to go into Israel. And then God should give over the command. Why did it have to be right now, just a few short weeks, is it eight weeks since we were in Egypt? Why couldn't God wait a little? Secondly, it seems completely irrelevant right now because one of the premises over here of buying the Jewish slave is that a person is down and out on their money, down and out on their luck, and they had to steal. Let's understand the Jewish people at this point were extremely wealthy. We know that when they left Egypt, the Talmud tells us each person or each family left with 90 donkey loads of gold and silver. Let me tell you, is anybody selling themselves as a slave now? No, they have the money. Then we know that when by the, by the splitting of the sea, after the sea split and it swallowed up the Egyptians, it spat out all of the gold and silver that the Egyptians came riding with. So they have even more gold and silver than they left with. So there's, it's completely irrelevant at this point to talk about slavery. And thirdly, seemingly when it, came, when it comes to the laws of slavery, they already knew the concept that you cannot enslave a person for more than six years. Where do they know this from? So fascinatingly enough, the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud tells us that there were Jewish slave owners in Egypt. Think about that for a moment. It's a scary concept. The Jewish nation was enslaved in Egypt for 210 years. There were some Jews who were very close and they, I guess they corroborated with the, collaborated with the, um, with the Egyptians and they themselves were slave owners of other Jewish people. It's a, it's a crazy thought just to think about. It makes you shiver, but that was the reality. And God tells, according to the Talmud, based on some readings in from the prophet Yirmiya, from the prophet Jeremiah, that God said, before, until you let your slaves free, to the Jewish people that were in Egypt, until you let them free, I will not take you out of Egypt. Because you expect me to, let, to set you free from the Egyptian slavery while you have your own slaves? Not going to happen. And from here, the Talmud tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the laws of slavery to these Jewish slave owners. And if that's the case, many of the Jewish people already knew about the laws of slavery. So once again, why would God feel the necessity to teach the laws of slavery as one of the first laws being taught after the given, giving of the Torah? So three general answers on this question. One answer comes from Nachmanides, the 13th century Spanish great sage, rabbi, philosopher, doctor, author, and he writes as follows. In the concept of slavery, there are two fundamental ideas to Judaism that are being relayed. And one is the concept of freedom from Egypt. And that's the whole idea of setting the slave free that nobody can ever be a slave forever because God took us out of Egypt. And the second is the cycle of six years 
is very similar to the cycle of Shabbos, as well as the Jubilee, the seven-year the, the seven cycle, seven times seven, and now on the 50th year, the Jubilee year, represents the concept of creation of the world and believing that God is the one who created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And because these are two fundamental tenets when it comes to Judaism, therefore God taught them a law that has both of these ideas in it. And that's Nachmanides' approach. And he says that's why it was so important for God to tell them about these laws right now. So even though they may be irrelevant now, but there's certain tenets there that are there that are relevant to the, to the foundation of Judaism. The Ibn Ezra, Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra, a 12th century Spanish sage and rabbi who eventually had to leave Spain and ended up in London. And he says as follows, the reason why God is telling this to the Jewish people now is to tell them that this will never happen again. You are, a, <clears throat> you guys were abused and taken advantage of by the Egyptians. I want you to know the concept of slavery will never happen to the Jew Jewish people again. You are inherently a free people. And therefore, even in this scenario where there is a necessity for indentured servitude, it will not last forever. It has a limit because you are inherently a free people. And over here, we can appreciate how this is not insensitive to the Jewish people, but this is actually extremely profound in helping them recover from the trauma that they just experienced in Egypt, knowing that as a nation, it will never happen again. Thirdly, we have Don Yitzhak Abarbanel, the 15th century Spanish rabbi who had to flee Spain during the Spanish Inquisition, eventually running away to Italy. And he explains as follows. He says that really our entire portion this week, the entire portion of Mishpatim, the laws, are actually in unpacking of the Ten Commandments. See, the Ten Commandments are extremely precise. And everything in this week's Torah portion is actually to unpack it. See, Rabbi Nusadya Gaon, one of the Gaonim who lived in the, eighth in the 10th century, he actually shows how within the Ten Commandments, you find all 613 commandments. But over here, the Abarbanel says, it's this week's Torah portion that unpacks last week's. And that's why they're being taught these laws. And he gives an example, right? The first of the Ten, of the, right? so the ten Commandments are split into five. The first five are between human beings and God. The second are between human beings and other human beings, and humankind. The first of, this, of, of the second commandments, in other words, commandment number six, is thou shalt not commit murder. And he explains as follows. What does that mean? If you look at it, there's a sub-law, and that is, you're not allowed to commit murder means you're not allowed to put somebody, take away somebody's freedom and turn them into a slave. Why? Because slavery is like a living death. So that is included in thou shall not murder. The same thing is injuring or cursing a parent would be the likes or the equivalent of murder, murdering with words. The same thing would be kidnapping, which the Torah completely forbids, back to the slavery issue, is you're depriving the victim of life. Once again, that is murder. Killing a slave, once again, is actual murder. And then as the Torah portion continues about if you're a person's ox gores and kills another person, that is another instance of murder. So we see that this week's Torah portion is really just unpacking blasphemies. Now, these are three pretty good answers and general approaches to why 
this whole concept of slavery now. But ultimately, the question is, what is truly the relevance at this point? What is truly happening? And over here, we have a fascinating insight from Rashi, the French commentary based on the insights of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he says as follows. There's a completely different conversation going on over here. The true laws of slaves are being intimated here, but really they're discussed later on in the book of Leviticus. So what's actually happening over here? And in truth, there's a much deeper conversation and question being asked, and that is, the Jewish people just received the Torah. Now they have a burning fundamental question about Judaism, about religion, and that is, what is the ultimate goal of Judaism? And secondly, how deep does Judaism go? Is it who I am or is it what I do? And then this, is, this becomes a, fa a fundamental point that before we even get into the particulars of any of the 613 commandments, the Jewish people are saying, we need to know what is Judaism all about? Is it just something that I do? And that as soon as I'm finished with my religious and Jewish obligations, I go back to my own life? Or is it something more than that? And that's their question to God. So God responds with this concept of slavery, not because God wants to tell the Jewish people the details of what slavery is about. On the contrary, if you look at the sub story here, God is not telling the Jewish people how to buy slaves. God is not telling the Jewish people that they should go ahead and buy slaves. God is telling the Jewish people, do not become a slave to anybody or anything. And that's why even in the scenario where a person is sold as a slave, it's not something that lasts forever because inherently you're a free person. And God says, my document came first. In other words, my document, meaning God's relationship with the Jew and our connection to God comes before anybody else's slavery. So even if a Jewish person was sold as a slave, it's not something that is absolute because ultimately we belong to Hashem. We belong to our God. And that's where we are responsible to live and to express our lives in the greatest of fashions. And that's what Hashem is teaching the Jewish people, is that you can never actually be enslaved to something else because I was here first, your connection with me precedes everything. And therefore, live a life that you do not end up becoming a slave because Judaism is who you are, it's not what you do. So nothing, nobody, in other words, no other person can control you as a master and you as their slave. And not only that, don't become a slave to the world around you, whether it's to devices, whether it's to ways of life or a slave to your own intellect and emotions. Never become a slave to any of that and know who you truly are because when it comes to being Jewish, when it comes to Judaism, it's not what you do, it's who you are and that's what we're all about. And that's what Hashem was trying to tell the Jewish people at this point. So is this insensitive? On the contrary, this is the most sensitive thing Hashem can be doing for us by showing the Jewish people that you're 100% in it with me in my relationship, Hashem says, that nothing else can take over. It's not like Judaism's about, hmm, if I'm comfortable with it today, I'm going to be Jewish. And then as soon as I'm not comfortable with it, or as soon as I'm done with my obligations, I can go on to something else and being distracted by something else. I have a secondary option over here. It doesn't work like that. 
you can never become enslaved to anything else. That's number one. Number two is we see the complete necessity of it at this point in Jewish history, because before we go on to discussing any of the particulars of Jewish law, we need to know what are all these laws about? All the laws in Judaism are there to give a person the greatest direction to how to live life, how to live the freest life in the greatest expression of yourself in this world is by not being enslaved to anything. And that's where all the rules and regulations of the Torah are about to come into. If you follow the GPS because you want to get to a particular destination, are you enslaved to the GPS? On the contrary, it's going to save you from making every wrong turn possible. And that's the idea that Hashem is telling them here, is that you are a truly free people. And this is who you are. This is in your DNA. And therefore, you cannot become enslaved to anybody. And even if you take a wrong turn, it's only temporary because your true path, right? Slavery can only last for six years or till the Jubilee because your true path is back at self-expression in the truest form. And that this, we can also appreciate the relevance of these ideas today in the year Tafshin Payal 2021, how these ideas are extremely relevant of not being enslaved to anybody or to anything around us or even to certain parts of ourselves. Thank you for joining us today. Do you have any 